You're listening to Baltimoreans, the home of the all-weather fan. My name is Sam Dingman. This is Alan Smith. Let's get stupid. Baltimoreans. Hello, Baltimoreans. How y'all doing? Hope it's excellent. It probably isn't, because we, we just got, got swept. swept. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what, Sam? It was a sweep, but it was a sweep. It's one of those things where... You only feel so bad because the Jays are a buzzsaw right now. And they're not going to continue to be a buzzsaw. They're just not going to hold together. But right now, it's a terrifying team. So, it is what it is. I would respond, but I have a segment about this prepared. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's get right into it then, shall we? (laughs) We are uh, proud to bring you, Baltimoreans, episode 56. 56 is an impressive number. Um, It's the number, for, for example, of men who signed the United States Declaration of Independence in 1776. Is that so? So we, in turn, should be impressed that we've booted up the old computer and created 56 episodes of Baltimoreans. 56 episodes, let's be frank, is impressive, at least as impressive as the number of consecutive games in which Giuseppe Paolo DiMaggio had a base hit in 1941. (laughs) Uh, Now, though, uh, in honor of this streak of our own, Baltimoreans is proud to present an exclusive scoop. We've managed to recover a journal kept by Mr. DiMaggio during that amazing legendary streak. And we've gotten permission from his estate in honor of our own streak of 56 consecutive episodes to bring this journal to light and are proud to bring you this never-before-seen look into the mind of a baseball legend. Alan, we are going to have to give intern Scotty a raise. (laughs) Well, he did some great research on this. For uncovering this. Now, neither Sam nor I have ever read this before. So with your permission, Sam, I'm going to just flip this open. Permission um, granted. To a few days and start reading. Let's see what we have here. Uh, May 21st, day six. Gosh, that that was very prescient of him. To label it as day six of a streak that would go on to be so legendary. (laughs) Um, Quote, had bacon with my oatmeal this morning, got a hit in the game today, didn't score any runs. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Well, that, that was early in the run. Um, yep. Okay. So maybe gets a little more interesting here. Okay. Uh, May 30th, day 15, got two hits today, scored two runs and batted in a run. Hmm. Okay. Okay. This is basically what the box score could have told us. But he, he doesn't uh, list what he had for breakfast in that not one? Not in that one. Not okay. in that one. Uh, let's see. June 6th. It says here, uh, quote, day 20, got two hits today, and one was a home run. Went and had a beer with Dom after the game. <laughs> huh. Okay. okay. Uh, <laughs> June 25th, uh, quote, day 35, got two hits today. Not much here. Um, you know, for somebody... <laughs> July 6th, day 51, had a home run today. People are talking a lot about my hitting. Had a pretty good stake at Keens. <laughs> All right, you know what? This is... uh, that was a little underwhelming. Uh, sorry that that was that was not exactly what I'd hoped it would be. Scotty, um, your raise is rescinded. <laughs> perhaps it was this lack of literary creative flair that resulted in a man named Giuseppe Paolo to end up with the nickname of Joe. <laughs> <laughs> was this actually, in fact, the beginning of the great nickname slide that plagues baseball to this very day? <laughs> now... It should be said that Joe DiMaggio is famous for his hitting streak, but um, he also did hit quite a few home runs. And he could have hit more. But according to statistician Bill Jenkinson, Joe DiMaggio was actually handicapped by playing at Yankee Stadium. 
Um, every time he batted in his home field during his entire career, he did so knowing that it was physically impossible for him to hit a home run to the half of the field directly in front of him. So from the power alley in left center, which is 430 feet in Joe's time, to the fence in deep right center field, 407 feet, for, for 45 degrees, Joe DiMaggio never hit a single home run over the fences at Yankee Stadium in that graveyard. How ironic. Because in the current bandbox atrocity that holds the name Yankee Stadium, which has a porch that is about 75 feet from home plate in, in right field, close enough that the corpse of light-hitting Ichiro Suzuki still has home run power, imagine what DiMaggio could have done. Yeah, seriously. Also, and I did not know this, DiMaggio went on to hit 17 straight games directly after his one bad night ending 56-game streak. So that means he hit safely in 74 of a possible 75 games at one point in his career. And wow. if that doesn't boggle your mind enough, the year before he became a Yankee, DiMaggio got at least one hit in a PCL record 61 consecutive games. So, so, so wait, he was just wait. a streaky dude. Wait, 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 wait. You're telling me that when he hit in 56 consecutive games at the major league level, yes. it was a trick he'd already done once yes. in the minor leagues. Yeah, for 61 consecutive games. And yet, when Matt Wieters <laughs> bats whatever it was, 360, at every single stop in the minor leagues, right. he decides to end his trick doing... <laughs> Upon reaching, upon reaching the major, <laughs> the major leagues. leagues. It's an interesting choice by Matt. Now, um, people who... This is one final thing about Joe DiMaggio, and then we'll, we'll end this ridiculously long and ridiculously... Don't, don't deride <laughs> it. It's great. Introduction. Um, people who have been regular visiting... Res, regular visitors to the Baltimoreans podcast, baltimoreanspodcast.com, might have seen a very interesting article reposted there by Sam from ESPN's Tim Kirkchen about the increase in strikeouts in the Major League Baseball. Indeed. It's a good read. I recommend it. And it raises a very good point about swings and misses, which basically guarantees, in my mind, that the 56-game streak is as close as we come to unbreakable in sports. Uh-huh. No one is ever going to get close to that, especially now that our strikeouts have jumped through the roof. Now, we, today, are at the other end of the spectrum. The Houston Astros, recording four straight games with at least 13 strikeouts really? at one point in this season. Four consecutive games of at least 13 strikeouts by the entire team. That Wow. Amazing. And Sam, do you know how many strikeouts they recorded over that four-game stint? 56? 56. Oh, my God. In 129 at-bats, the Astros managed to strike out 56 times. Th- Somewhere... <laughs> Joe DiMaggio is very proud. <laughs> that, that is a Ryan Flaherty-in strikeout rate. It really is. Although, I should knock the man. Hit three home runs this weekend. That's true. In a losing effort. Still batting 191. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. I would like to. Uh, I'd like to pause for a moment and uh, have a little Baltimore Hunts <laughs> round of applause. I, uh, I, what's about to happen on this show that which you don't know about because I haven't told you, right, uh, is so beneath the quality <laughs> of the intro that you just prepared that I, uh, I, I, I would say we should skip it, but I don't have anything uh, ready as backup. So let's let's, let's do it. Let's, let's charge jump into ahead. it. And uh, I'd like to give you that apology in advance. <laughs> Because the fact is, Alan, you owe 
Moron Nation an apology. I do. You do. Uh-oh. Um, if, you're, if you're wondering, Moron Nation, who to blame for the Orioles' sweep at the hands, beaks? Uh-oh. Of the Blue Jays this I weekend. Think I know where we're going with this. <laughs> you should look no farther than the co-host of this very program. <laughs> because earlier this week, ladies and gentlemen, Alan and I were exulting over the Orioles' unlikely series win against the Tigers. Reminder to those of you who picked Zach Britton to outpitch Justin <laughs> Verlander that you have won a Maserati. <laughs> now, in this exultant G-Chat conversation, Alan, in response to the whole Miguel Cabrera, Chris Davis, twin triple crown contender storyline, deployed some uncharacteristically <laughs> graphic imagery. Do you remember what you said, Alan? I do. <laughs> Would you like to tell the people what you said? I really wouldn't. Well, too bad. <laughs> because I'm going to tell them what you said. Alan Smith, ladies and gentlemen, a man who over the course of 56 episodes, you have welcomed into your home <laughs> as a wholesome man, a man of values. A God-fearing man. And a God-fearing man. He said, and I quote, Chris Davis stuck his dick in Miguel Cabrera's eyeball. That's what he said in a G-chat conversation. So now the, the NSA knows about it. <laughs> but you don't necessarily, moron nation. Until now. And then what happens? What happens, Alan? Mere days later, the Orioles face three pitchers. And what are those pitchers' names? Dickie. Oh, no. Wang. <laughs> and Johnson. 48 hours after you make this uncharacteristically graphic joke, <sighs> we run in to the Toronto penis buzzsaw of 2013. <laughs> The Revenge of the Penis. By the way, I am going to call this episode the Toronto <laughs> Penis Buzzsaw. My God. And here we sit. I, You know, I, I was thinking that we, you were going to bring up that, and you were going to bring up my guarantee of us sending the Blue Jays packing once again below 500. But oh. it wasn't that. Oh, it no, was, that... It was the taking the name, the, the word of penis in vain, <laughs> so, to speak. So, so to speak. So to speak. <laughs> Only to have as the penis were, triumphant in the parlance of our times, <laughs> just batter us. I mean, I think we should we should probably leave this particular <laughs> line of questioning and or dialogue now, uh, because Before this goes even further south. <laughs> this is a family program, but I just wanted people to know that uh, because of you, we were treated that way by the Dickie, Wang, and Johnson. Because you decided to make it into something like that. Man, I, uh, it's, it's sort of amazing that that, that, that is three-fifths of a major league roster. <laughs> well, this is what I actually wanted to say about this. Uh, they, it's not like they pitched super well against us. No, we had, we had Johnson on the ropes early and often. We did. And let him off the hook. We did. Uh, Matt Wieters left six men on base, mm -hmm. and I was trying, and, and if anybody who listens to this show knows of a resource where I can find this, <laughs> I would actually be really interested. I was trying to find a website where I could 
count the number of runners that Matt Wieters has left on base in 2013. Hmm. To my eye, it was not available at BaseballReference.com, which is my or Fangraphs. Those are my two usual go-to's for for this kind of thing. Hmm. Uh, I couldn't find it, um, but it, it's not just Matt Wieters' fault. And I would also say I don't think generally that this sweeping at the hands beaks of the Blue Jays is something that we need to sweat about. No. Uh, I think we have just caught the the Blue Jays on an unbelievable hot streak. It it makes more sense that they're playing well right now than it did that they were playing so badly for so long. In the end, I tend to agree with you. I don't think that they're so good that they're going to be able to undo all the damage that they've already done to themselves, and I don't think they're the super team that we were concerned that they were. Right. Um, but... The thing I think, the the context that I think this needs to be placed in is that we now have, and are, I would say, probably pretty likely to have for the rest of the year, the only division in all of Major League Baseball where every single team is over 500. It's terrifying. And so what it does for me is reframe the issue of our starting rotation even more intensely. Yeah. Because from this point forward, every single team is bringing a whole lot to the table. Now... I feel confident in our ability to compete on offense. Yeah. I feel confident running the Miguel Gonzalez's of the world, the Chris Tillman's of the world, and the Jason Hamels, for the most part, of the world out there. We need Chen back. But we need Chen back, and we need somebody else to yep. take this this Freddie Garcia, Kevin Gossman, Zach Britton, Jake Arietta merry-go-round slot off the table. Yep. And we've been ringing that bell... Now, if, if I was prepared, I'd have <laughs> our actual... There we go. We have been ringing that bell. We've been sounding the call the alarm. on that particular score. And I want to give us credit for this, Alan, since the beginning of the season. That's true. And it is still the main weakness of this team. It is. And you see that when uh, when a, a, a Josh Johnson doesn't have a great start, and when he's a little bit rickety in the first couple innings, and he looks like he's hittable, to then give up seven runs in two and a third exactly just it, it it takes the game immediately out of reach so that then when you're suddenly down if you're if you're down for nothing then you can this this offense can get you back in yep we're not asking for a shutdown guy no but you cannot be down nine nothing going into the fourth that just doesn't work yeah that's too deep of a hole to dig you out of and and again is this sweep of the blue jays going to mean the end of our season no just like the six game losing streak wasn't the end of our season but this is a series where, okay, you lose the first game, on a, and it's a heartbreaker. That game could have gone either way. You lose the second game. It's a close game. Again, you know, we had some opportunities to convert, and we were not successful. But we need the next slot in the rotation after two games like that to put up seven strong and get the team back into the correct headspace. It to can't, have a stopper somewhere in this rotation. Exactly. Exactly. It can't be three crapshoots in a row. Especially against a team like the Blue Jays. Uh, or the Yankees. Or, or Yeah. Or the Red Sox. Or the Rays. Or the Rays. <laughs> and we have a lot more games against those four teams right. for the next several months. Bring me Jared Jurgens. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> You've missed the point of this entire segment, Alan. <laughs> so, really, this is all sound and fury signifying nothing. <laughs> As, in many ways, the Baltimore Odds podcast often is. So, what else is new? 
now, why don't we jump, Alan, to... Yes. Uh, we have uh, a very exciting upcoming project. Yeah. A collaboration with one of our uh, our brothers in broadcast. And in fact, we're collaborating with, with in many ways, the Orioles podcast diaspora on Indeed. this. Um, we are proud to be one of the podcast groups uh, involved in this year's Bevy Awards. Hmm. That's the BEV Awards, or the Bird's Eye View Mid-Season Summer Spectacular. Uh, Bird's Eye View uh, and the good folks over there are taking lead on putting together a mid-season award show for the Baltimore Orioles, and they have kindly asked us to participate. Thank you, gentlemen. So without further ado, we are proud to prevent... Prevent... We are proud to prevent any more words coming out about this subject at all. We're done. Thank you. Good night. All right. We'll talk to you next week on episode 57. <laughs> We're proud to present the Baltimoreans entries into the this year's Bevy Awards. So, uh, for your voting pleasure, we will be putting this up on Facebook, on Twitter, and out on our pod uh, on our Baltimoreanspodcast.com. So please check it out and please vote on the Dan Duquette Scrap Heat Reclamation Project of the Year. It's our first category. Yes. Uh, and the second category is the Brady Anderson 1996 Memorial Award for Power That We Hope Isn't Too Good to Be True. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, uh, for those of you who don't remember Brady Anderson 1996, let me just pause for one second here. I'm going to re- read you Brady Anderson's lifetime career home runs. <laughs> He began uh, with Toronto in 1988 when he hit one home run. Mm. Uh, Then he moved over to the Boston Red Sox where he hit zero home runs. Mm -hmm. Then he moved on to the Baltimore Orioles, and these are his home run totals as an Oriole. One, four, three, two, 21, 13, 12, 16, 50. 18, 18, 24, 19, and 8. Now, there's an outlier in there, Alan, (laughs) and I'm going to tell you what it is. The fact that he started his career with the Blue Jays, I didn't know that. Did you know that? Uh, I did not know that, and he had um, 325 at-bats with them that year. Really? Yep. I knew he did some time in Boston. Only 148 at-bats there, so significantly less. What what an unexpected connection point with this week's episode. Indeed. Um, it all holds together. Now, to give folks an idea of what we're talking about with the Dan Duquette uh, Reclamation Project Award, um, I think I think we can all agree that that award last year uh, would have gone to Nate also, McClough. Also, he did not in any way, shape, or form uh, debut with the Toronto Blue Jays. I'm totally wrong in misreading this, this chart. <laughs> Wait, wait, well, hold on. <laughs> what what happened there? So there's a uh, total category, which is T-O-R, ah. total runs, and for his 1998 season. So 1998, he started off total, and then Boston, and then, and then they delineate Boston and Baltimore. Mm. So I just So he never chart. played for the Blue Jays? No, never played for the Blue Jays. Okay. Well, I'm glad <laughs> <laughs> that we're going to leave all of this in. <laughs> Um, well, you know, I think there's an argument for leaving it in. Yeah, it's true. And that is that uh, had he played for the Blue Jays, Mm -hmm. it would have been a nice unexpected (laughs) connection point 
Uh, and it, it's nice to... It's still a nice unexpected connection point. It's just a made-up one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and w- which, you know, um, doesn't put it out of character with other connection points that have come up on this program previously. So he, he in this one season, hit more home runs than... More than doubled his home run output of any other season. Yes. that that That's the um. real outlier. <laughs> this really is my fault. <laughs> Because obviously the outlier is that he hit 50 home runs in that one particular season, which is more than double he'd done in any other season, uh, which is why this award is named for him. Right. And so what you're going to see when you go to BaltimoreOnsPodcast.com is you're going to see uh, each of these categories. Yes. And you're going to see several options for who would be your vote for the best reclamation project of 2013 and the most unexpected power. That we really hope is above board. Yes. <laughs> uh, and as we were saying a moment ago, obviously, uh, to give you a sense of how we're thinking about this, the award for Reclamation Project in 2012 would clearly have gone to Nate McClouth. Obviously. There were other, uh, there were other options right. on the table. Uh, I would say perhaps Brian Mattis would be a contender last year for... Uh, Sad him. that he needed a reclaiming, but agreed. <laughs> yes. Uh, but Ryan, Ryan, Brian Mattis was remade as a left-handed long relief specialist right. uh, last year, which was impressive, but not nearly as impressive as the... Plucking the uh, <laughs> Nate from the scrap heap. Yeah, from and scrap heap to all-star contender. essentially an all-star. Yeah. So, go over to BaltimoreOnsPodcast.com, check out those poll questions, enter them, uh, enter your answers... And uh, we will be excited to share the uh, results w- results and winners on next week's episode. And also be sure, as always, to check out the Bird's Eye View podcast. In addition to this awesome contest where you're going to hear not just uh, stuff from us, but from other folks who've been on this show, as well as other members of the Orioles podcast community. They also do a very fine Orioles program every week. And uh, in fact, you're going to be hearing a little bit more from one of them later on in the program. But we're going to take a, a, a little musical interlude here. Yes. And, and come back at you in just one second. You're listening to Baltimore, the home of the all-weather fan. This is Alan Smith. And this is Sam Dingman. And you, dear listeners, are wonderful people (laughs) who generally, that's true generally, uh, but you sent us some some very fine communiques lately, uh, and we wanted to share those with you because we always say that we're going to get to it in the next episode, and then we don't. Um, So we're going to skim a bit of the cream off of the top of some excellent, excellent contacts we've been getting from y'all. Now, you may remember a couple episodes ago, we uh, received an excellent uh, email from Mr. Jimmy Bigwood. Right. uh, In reference to Alan's made-up baseball player, Two Boots Lelouch. Right. And uh, Jimmy wrote us a very nice uh, communication about that. And we, instead of directly responding to that, decided to make fun of his name for a little while. (laughs) <laughs> what you mean we, Kimosabe? <laughs> okay, it was mostly just me. <laughs> I would point out that uh, that he, Jimmy, is following in the fine tradition of the Toronto starting rotation. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all we'll say about that. 
because it's been pretty phallic so far this week. Um, but anyway, uh, in response to our, um, our, our good-natured ribbing uh, regarding his name, Jimmy responds, Ha ha ha, Mr. Dingman and Smith. I just wanted to say that I took great delight in listening to the Jimmy Bigwood Memorial Listener episode. Side note, he calls it that because we assumed that after all of this, he would never tune in again. <laughs> May he be laid to rest in his finest Orioles-themed attire, that old Baltimore bird-loving son of a bitch. Alas, you might be interested to know, the surname is, believe it or not, the real thing. While the details of its origin are somewhat shrouded in mystery, its earliest believed version can be found in the name of a Viking, Rollo Hrolf Thurston Bigod, who was born in Norway during the late 9th century. That is a great name. It really is. <laughs> the Bigod, sometimes written Bigot, name trickled down through Normandy during the ensuing 150 years and eventually made the jump to England during the Norman Conquest. Over the next few centuries, it survived many transformations and variations, my favorite being the one that belonged to my ninth great-grandfather, Richard Baigwood, because it leads one to believe that if he assumed the logical nickname for Richard, he was addressed as Dick Baigwood, a hilarious <laughs> name on multiple levels. Well, we really can't escape it this week, can we? This, ladies and gentlemen, was not intentional. They're not going to believe that, but... It, I should say it just in case we, we ever doth, end up in court. Does protest too much. <laughs> we do. Oh boy. Uh, continuing with Jimmy's email, which is far more literary than anything we've come up with. Personally, I'm of the opinion that two factors led to its current spelling: one, the lack of standardization in pre-18th century English, and two, the fact that surnames during the late medieval period were generally more descriptive in nature. E.g., Johnson equals son of John. Son of a bitch. <laughs> It's not Jimmy's fault. He didn't know that we were going to continue our bizarre fixation this week. Wow. It's a new low here. Or a new high. <laughs> new high. Depending. Jimmy continues. The hypothesis is that some bee gods moved into a heavily forested region and gradually became known as the Big Woods because they lived in the Big Woods. Hmm. Also, if you think my name is perfect for baseball now, wait until you see the family crest. Yep. It's a hand protruding from a cloud holding a gigantic wooden club, a medieval baseball bat, if you will. I will. I will. I will also. Also, I learned more from that email than I uh, have from the other 55 episodes of Baltimore <laughs> Yes, including the, the, the idea that there was a lack of standardization in, uh, in medieval English. Right. I didn't know that to be true. I, I, uh, I, I, I'm interested also in the, the evolution of names, uh, and I wonder how... Uh, if if Johnson is in fact the son of John, which makes right. a good bit of sense, mm -hmm. how do you explain Dickie? Mm. <laughs> well, I was in the marching band for a long time in high school, <laughs> against my will, and uh, we had to wear under our marching band uniforms a a decorative white collar, which was designed to match the uh, colors of the uniform. And that the actual name of this white collar, which was not attached to a shirt, it was just a, a collar with um, like a handkerchief coming down in front of it. So it looked right. like it was part of a shirt. It was called a dicky. Huh. And if you would like to have a challenge later in life, try becoming a band director and telling a room of 13 year old <laughs> boys that they're going to have to wear dickies. <laughs> it's not going to go well for you. 
All right. Okay, moving right along. Moving right along. Um, to a, a very, a very excellent email that we got um, from Jake over at, at Bird's Eye View, pointing out that we were, um, we, we did a, a, a slight update mm-hmm. to our nickname episode with a few people who we'd forgotten to nickname the first time around. Yes. Freddie Garcia. Um, Freddie Garcia, Chris Dickerson, um, and uh, Steve Pierce. Yes. All got nicknames where they had not previously had nicknames before. Oh, and Kevin Gossman. Kevin right. Gossman, yeah. Um, we uh, apparently were just asleep at the wheel <laughs> because <laughs> Jake points out a series, a series of very excellent names that we totally failed to mention. Uh, so I'm just going to go through a couple of them here. Freddie Garcia, uh, the nicknames that Jake came up for Freddie were Freddie Waverbait Garcia. Mm-hmm. And he writes, this one, I feel, needs no explanation. He got lit up by the Astros. It's even more true now, yeah. uh, given that he just got shellacked by the Jays today. Uh, and then following very much, I think, in the theme of today's show, Jake recommends Sir Dix-a-Lot. <laughs> God, really? <laughs> Indeed. Wait, he recommends Sir Dix-a-Lot for Freddie Garcia? For Freddie Garcia. Because he writes, the, the Masson broadcast went to great lengths to provide awkward television when the Masson Keys to the Game segment called him Sir Mix-a-Lot, both in reference to his supposed ability to mix his pitches and an excuse to make Mike Bordick talk about the rap. <laughs> oh, that's right. I remember that. That that was a great moment in television. <laughs> My version, Jake writes, is much more accurate and mean-spirited, but no less awkward for Mike Bordick to tackle <laughs> on the air. <laughs> In Mike Bordick's defense, any words that he says come out awkwardly on those. He but seems like a genuinely nice dude. Given our uh, uh, fluency with all words in the realm of penis <laughs> exhibited on today's show, this yes. is just more evidence for us replacing Mike Bordick on the Call the Orioles games. <laughs> yes, that's true. That is true. Imagine instead of Jim... Now, I'm not going to say we can contend with Gary Thorne and Jim Palmer, because that is poetry... <laughs> In drunken motion. On the night. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but Jim Hunter and Mike Bordick, I think we can give them a run for their money. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> you know what I do want to say, though? I think Jim Hunter is not bad on the radio. No, he, he really, that's more of his comparative advantage, I think. He, he's not good, but he, 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 he gives you a, like a very solid workmanlike description of what's happening, which is not... Uh, a characterization that could be made of Fred Manfred's <laughs> abilities, <laughs> who sometimes calls home runs a full two weeks after they're hit. <laughs> and even then, with the sort of monotone, sort of, uh, yep, that's a home run call yep. that you would expect from, I don't know, yep. the opposing team. <laughs> right, yeah. Oh, and uh, according to my notes, it was brought to you by Papa John's. Uh. Anyway, Chris Dickerson. <laughs> anyway, yes. Jake, uh, I think this is my favorite nickname of the entire bunch from both our show and this email. Mm-hmm. Chris Dickerson's new nickname and shall be from this point forward, The Last Resort. <laughs> uh, not just a great Eagles tune. The Last Resort also references his Tea Garden-esque late-inning heroics. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like this nickname because while demanding that the Orioles pinch hit for Flaherty in the ninth, you can scream, Come on, Buck! Go to the last resort! <laughs> Note, I also love his jaunty raising of the roof. He clo- he does it with an expression that is half I'm too sexy video and half I can't believe that really just happened. <laughs> um, 
See, I thought when you said Sir Dix a lot that that was going to be Jake's nickname for Chris Dickerson. <laughs> and let's not talk about the the word Dick anymore. Jesus Christ, Moving man. Moving on to Steve Pierce. Please. Jake writes, the obvious nickname for Steve Pierce is, who the hell is Steve Pierce? <laughs> Over at Bird's Eye View, he will always go by this na- nickname. When he was on the club last year, and then gone, and then back, and then gone, and then back, we couldn't figure out who this guy was or why he kept popping up. But he would occasionally crack the lineup, making one of us say, who the hell is Steve Pierce? <laughs> Fair point. And finally, uh, Kevin Gossman, who we will now nickname EKG. Does the KG stand for Kevin Gossman? No. <laughs> EKG, Jake writes, as in he's up and down, like an EKG. Uh-huh. Look, I didn't promise these would be any good. <laughs> and yet they were, Jake, and yet they were. And yet they were better than anything <laughs> that I have said on this entire broadcast. Um, so thank you uh, both Jake and Jimmy for taking the time to write in. Yes. If you, ladies and gentlemen... <laughs> Would like, like to, to write get in your name mocked. Yes, and uh, single-handedly improve the quality of an episode you likely tuned out a long time ago. You can do that by uh, emailing us baltimoreonspodcast at gmail dot com, and you can also call us and leave us a voicemail nine zero nine rib wars is the number to call to do that. And you can find all this information by going to baltimoreonspodcast dot com and clicking on contact. Um, now, there, speaking of uh, errors and mistakes, Alan, such as the ones we've made this evening <laughs> by uh, powering on the microphones in the first place, um, we, uh, we have a segment that we do here from time to time, uh, which, which features our, our intern, who we also made reference to earlier, Intern Scotty. Uh, and that segment is called... Intern Scotty checks the facts, checks the facts. Intern Scotty checks the facts. Check him out, y'all. Intern Scotty checks the facts. Checks the facts. Intern Scotty checks the facts. Yes, yes, he does, ladies and gentlemen. Intern Scotty goes through each and every Baltimoreans episode with a fine tooth comb in the windowless basement room in which we make him work. <laughs> And uh, he, he looks for errors and mistakes that we make in those episodes uh, because we are dedicated to transparency. That's why we always tell you when we're not going to edit out uh, terrible segments. Because <laughs> we don't want to set up false expectations for you. Right. Um, and what intern Scotty felt uh, correctly, as always, because um, we may not treat him well, but he is always right. <laughs> What he discovered uh, about last week's episode, in which we came up with a, an Orioles starting lineup, um, in which which was entirely populated by characters from the television show Arrested Development, as well as their closest real-life Baltimore Oriole counterparts, with an assist from Orioles Spastics. Indeed, by another. Which they did it, and we laughed along. <laughs> yes, <laughs> he did a lot of uh, really made a lot of really interesting, smart comparisons, and we uh, 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 sullied sullied their hard work with our... <laughs> with penis jokes! <laughs> <sighs> anyway, um, Scotty found out that, uh, correctly, that we had, had made some critical critical errors. Right, a few, a few major mistakes. Some major mistakes. The, the first one being that we did not come up with Bluth counterparts for Buck Showalter and Dan Duquette. Which is a, uh, an oversight of 
epic proportions. So we'd like to correct that now, uh, and it's going to require uh, you to cast your your mind back to the wonderful time that you had listening to last week's episode. And you may remember that we submitted as the most ideal comparison for Chris Davis, Ron Howard. Mm. That's not going to work because we're going to need to use him for either Buck Showalter or Dan Duquette. Which one's it going to be? Keep listening to find out. (laughs) But the fact that we're taking Ron Howard away from Chris Davis (laughs) means that we need to replace him with somebody. Right. Uh, So, Alan, I believe you came up with a very excellent, very excellent replacement. Well, due to Chris's deep and abiding faith uh, and his uh, incredibly attractive wife... (laughs) We've gone with Reverend Veal. Yes. Uh, Anne's father. Who? <laughs> a man of the cloth. Ah, yes. Uh, and a, a, a spiritual guide to the Bluth family, despite them having no interest at all in his spiritual guidance. Yes. Um, much, I, in, like, I believe that Chris Davis is the spiritual guide to the Orioles, despite them not really caring in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> I don't think he has probably had a whole lot of luck evangelizing in the clubhouse. That's my guess. That's my guess as well. So, now it's time for the big reveal. <laughs> who, who, Baltimoreans Nation, have we decided is most similar to the narrator, Ron Howard, from the television show Arrested Development? Is the suspense killing you? It's killing me. It's Buck Showalter. <laughs> <laughs> because, much like Ron Howard, right. in the television show Arrested Development... Buck has a deceptively affable demeanor, which belies a seemingly effortless ability to navigate unexpected plot twists. It's true. It's true. So that's what we're going to go with for Buck Showalter. And for Dan Duquette, I've decided to go... Oh, I just want to point out as well that in many of his his press conferences, Mm -hmm. I feel that Buck does a similar level of casual narration of the events that are literally taking place. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Uh, in, in many ways that, that Ron Howard, I think, duplicates seamlessly in Arrested Development. Yes, yes, agreed. 100%. 100%. Um, now, for Dan Duquette. Yes. Um, I racked my brain. I slept on it. Mm-hmm. I drank on it. <laughs> and I came up with Mitchell Hurwitz. Ah, who Excellent. diehard Arrested Development fans, in addition to being the only people who will enjoy this segment <laughs> and last week's show, <laughs> will also know is the creator, the creator of Arrested, of Arrested Development, Development. Uh, the man who uh, plots out the, the story arcs that we love so well. Uh, so I think Dan Duquette and Mitchell Hurwitz are counterparts because uh, each of them recently came back after being mysteriously fired following <laughs> a very successful string of seasons, and That's is now, true. once again, deploying highly unconventional methods to tell highly unconventional. a very fantastic story. Doesn't that just warm your heart it, a little bit? It's, it's very nice. It's very nice. We, we've wrapped things up just like an Arrested Development episode. <laughs> Unless we're talking about season four, <laughs> in which nothing concluded ever. Yes, that's true. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, that's, that's all we have for you this week. Um, but we do want you to go over to BaltimoreOnsPodcast.com and uh, submit your votes for our nominees uh, for the... What are the names of the awards again? There's the Dan Duquette uh, Reclamation Project Award. Mm-hmm. 
and the Brady Anderson 1996 season memorial for power hitting, or not even power hitting, for surprise power that we hope will last. Indeed. Thank you very much for tuning in, folks. Oh, what I wanted to do is uh, tell you about the music. I, I always get this part wrong. So, the theme song There's of the show. Music, da 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 et cetera, et cetera. Blah, blah, blah. The, the theme song of the show, Marshall York provided that. And uh, then you got your interstitial music there. That's from uh, Weather Report. The song's called Birdland. Look it up on Spotify. It's good stuff. The intern Scotty Checks the Fact theme song brought to you by Sam Dingman. <laughs> I'll go ahead and accept credit for that <laughs> marvelous jam. And uh, what else is happening? Oh, yeah, the uh, outro music. Be You're merciful. Right now, putting a well-deserved close on this episode. Yes. That's uh, Kicking My Heart Around by the Black Crows. I swear to God, I forget the title of it every single time I'm about to say it. And, um, yeah, that's it. That's uh, <laughs> Let's, let's put a bow on this one. Not with a bang, but a whimper. <laughs> adieu. Adieu. Kicking my heart.